Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, phew. Because I was like, I'm just a thumbnail. <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny beginning, actually. Oh, phew, I'm just a thumbnail. <laughs> I'm just a little thumbnail on my Zoom screen. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there, people, as we started. Yes, we, we did. With, with my opposable thumbs. It happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, we have a guest, our very special guest is coming on momentarily, which we'll um, mm -hmm. introduce now. We normally gab a little bit before uh, they come on, but not a heck of a lot of time. But to think, no. uh, Hero, are you okay? You're good? Just check a little check. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Tens across the board. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. I could yeah. A, a little jump in my step or whatever the heck, however you want to say it because of my cough. A, pe a, pe a pep in your bicep. Yeah, yes. Okay. Oh, it's where my camera's all reversed now. So I'm, I'm like, when I put my right arm up, it's like. We are getting totally. All right. All right. We are. Okay. Um, yes, we have a very special guest. His name is Michael Landsberg. And Michael Landsberg, well, first and foremost, I, I mean, I guess I should have guessed this, but yes, he's Jewish. <laughs> I have a lot of Jewish guests, though, even though it's called Getting Juicy. Um, yeah. but, uh, there's, there's a few things definitely in common with our guest that's coming on the show. Comes from a Jewish background. Um, he, he's very open about suffering from generalized anxiety disorder or GAD and depression, um, and someone who is in the spotlight, who has been in the spotlight for most of his life, it seems, um, in sports, whom we had Brock McGillis on not that long ago. So somebody in, mm -hmm. in the sports world to be, it seems like that's a, it's a difficult thing to um, admit, perhaps. Yep. So he's been very open um, with his illness and why I say illness is because he is also the founder of hashtag sick not weak which is not only a movement but a platform um, to help and assist those that are you know struggling with mental health um, challenges and to get them the tools or the help that perhaps they need and just to, to talk more about this topic and to put it out mm -hmm. there and I mentioned sports briefly, and it's funny because <laughs> the sports component, because Hero and I, neither Hero and I nor I are very big sports fans necessarily. So for me, that wasn't like a huge <laughs> draw necessarily. But Canadian sports broadcaster, he's been um, on TSN for a number of years, I believe. Since its inception in 1983, I believe. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, he was, I was just reading this here because he, I think it was one of the, the longest running um, shows on TSN called Off the Record from 97 right. 15, which is a long time. Um, yes. So he has a very long broadcasting uh, and sports career um, as a host and as a Canadian journalist. And currently he is um, the host of First Up. So he's still still hosting his shows and you know a pretty pretty big icon in sports in, in Canada specifically probably more than that but he is for sure and what's even more interesting I've got to give a shout out once again to my father uh because he was the one he said you you gotta have Landsberg on the show and I'm thinking I gotta be honest I don't I've never heard that name before he says well of course you haven't because you don't watch or participate in any kind of sports so of course you're not going to know but he's really really prolific in mental health he's Jewish he's from Vancouver you know he's very very 
huge in this community. Absolutely. So I thought, sure, let's check it out. And boom, there you go. And it, I'm so happy that Michael was willing to come on the show. I'm so happy. Me too. And I don't know, if, is he from Vancouver? I'm not, not completely sure if it's back. I think my dad, I think my dad said he's from Vancouver. So if not, we can just put the, we can just put the accountability on my dad. So, <laughs> you know, the fact that I even thought that the, there, I knew there, there's a women's golf, um, professional golf association, even though I called the LB, LPGA. He listened to Brock's episode yesterday. I told him, listen, he says, well, I appreciate the mention, but it's actually the WPGA, but you know what? Close enough. I'm thinking, okay, thanks for the backhand of compliment. <laughs> You oh you said L to begin uh-huh. like yeah ladies? yeah instead of women's <laughs> that's cute <laughs> the ladies yeah why not I mean sure <laughs> that's too funny yeah I so, know there's so many things I want to ask Michael and I think that just because we've had a number of conversations about this on our podcast when it comes to those that um, have the background of the Jew the Jewishness and. Mm-hmm correlation it seems a lot of the time with mental health challenges mental illness some of the again said this a million times the intergenerational trauma um you know how perhaps that's affected michael or has it affected michael right so and we'll know we'll know very shortly very shortly because there he is (laughs) the man himself hey michael how's it going not much what's going on with you uh, uh, lots actually, you know, this is, uh, unfortunately a really good, uh, time to be in the mental health business. Um, yeah. but unfortunately, you know, it, it's not like I'm going, oh man, I hope this pandemic lasts longer, but you know, people right. need to hear, you know, like the, the talk that I give and, you know, the, the whole topic of mental illness is like way bigger than it's ever been. So, um, so I'm good. Absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic. And I got to say, you are perfectly framed in your background. You really thought about your head and where the photos and the arts are and the lights are. I mean, talk about a perfectly framed, you know, photograph. It's beautiful. Oh, you stop. Stop. Oh, with you your stop. Talking. You stop. Uh, it's, uh, it was just by chance. I mean, I mean, let's face it. All of us do so much like on platforms like zoom. I just, uh, I just yeah. was sort of pitching my services to a law firm to talk about mental health and they were on Microsoft Teams. Not wow. my favorite platform. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. My work does that one too, actually. Yeah. But yeah, no, absolutely. So Michael, we nice to meet you, first of all. And Pleasure to meet you too. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time of your day to be a part of this humble, very humble podcast that we've only started about seven months ago. Um, really appreciate it. Fellow My K- pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, fellow Canadian, fellow Jew. It's funny because even though we're called getting juicy, we don't actually have a heck of a lot of Jewish guests. It's more just was a fun kind of play on words. But (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say we don't have a heck of a lot of Jew guests, which I would have had no problem with because, you know, we're kind of all like that. But, you know, it's like things that you would say (laughs) insiders are different than you would say to outsiders. Absolutely. So um, I'm glad to be here. Um, ready, uh, Ready to go. I wake up ready to go. Love Amazing. And I also want to say that my father, Dana, is the hugest fan of yours. And he was the one that said, you should have Landsberg on your show. And I said, I want to be humble and saying, because I don't follow hockey. I don't follow sports. So you've tried to get me in the sports for the rest of my life. I, I don't know. So when he said, when I told him that you got on the show, he was like, you have Landsberg? 
What? Yeah, what? <laughs> wow, he, he must be really uh wow, that guy's career must have tanked. Oh my god. Um how do you say your how do you say your first name? Hero. I it's really, that. really a really a, a plot twist. Yeah, just hero. Yeah. Is that is that is is that Israeli? You know what? I could say yes, but no, it was adopted. I changed my name when I was a teenager from my favorite video game character. So I like it. Thank you. You know, we don't Thank have you. a we don't have nearly enough double eyes in our life. You know, like the double I right? is underrated. Oh my gosh. Yeah, everyone so knows underrated. double E. You know, like anyone can do a double E or a double O, like big fucking deal, but double I. <laughs> I know we gotta adopt that and bring into the English and the Hebrew language, I gotta say. Exactly what you were thinking, right here. When exactly. I know. Exactly. So anyways, we, me and Rachel tend to get off track very easily. And that's just, you know, the Jew in us. But we are so happy that you chose to join us. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Uh, before you hopped on, we gave a brief introduction about who you are and what your accolades are. And just so our viewers and our guests have an understanding of who you might be if they haven't heard the name before. But we always love for our guests to introduce themselves a little bit and just kind of fill in the blanks in case that we have missed anything that you would like to include into your introduction which because okay. it's like well he doesn't really know what we said <laughs> that's exactly it that is a good point so i'm going to fill in some of the uh, i this is my introduction you ready hey ready. my name is michael landsberg and i i don't know what other things have been said about me and the truth is i really don't care like i really don't care i mean i you know i don't care what people say about me in any context whatsoever i've never even though i've been sort of um you know on tv or radio or giving talks all my life i've never been insulted by anything and anyone has ever said because oh. i kind of look at it like there's no such thing as a wrong opinion like if someone says you suck it's like okay well you suck in their minds you suck so my name is michael landsberg i'm glad to be here and uh whatever you said about me before i probably would have rolled my eyes with like okay i would have been embarrassed so i'm glad i didn't have to hear that so why don't we jump right in okay i love it so michael um speaking of mental health and mental illness it's interesting because i always first first and foremost both hero and i have had our struggles with mental health and mental mental illness um i always it's funny i don't I, the word illness to me has such a negative scary connotation that i tend to say challenges but um, you with your sick, not weak campaign kind of changed my mind about that because, you know, I think that for my whole life, like I've been, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder when I was 18. I'm 38 now. So it's been a number of years, right? Struggling with uh, this and, you know, getting, you know, off the wagon, on the wagon, all kinds of things. Um, but, but I guess always thinking that it was a weakness, like I never really um, labeled it necessarily as that. And I guess the reason why I was always scared to say that it was an illness or that I was sick is because I, I always, I've never been able to, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, got, I've never been able to get better from it. So I always think of an illness as like, oh, you can, you can treat an illness, you can treat a sickness, but can you treat anxiety? Like, I feel like I've, it's always been, it's still an underlying, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but just, just the idea of sick, not weak, like where, where did that come from? I guess. And how, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that 
you got to make a choice. And the choice is, you know, what is this thing that you have, whether it's GAD or in my case, GAD when I was a kid, um, still GAD, general anxiety disorder, but but depression, uh, you know, sort of first and foremost for me, you got to decide what is it? You know, is it a fiction of your, uh, did you make this up? Is it a figment of your imagination? You know, did you bring this upon yourself? Are you just, you know, like, are you just incapable of having a brain like everyone else? Or what's the option? Yeah. It's a sickness. And, you know, people say, I don't like to be called, you know, I don't like it to be called a sickness. And I say, okay, I, you know, I understand. I don't want to be sick. But like, if you want to be taken care of uh, seriously with something like depression or GAD, then you got to tell it like it is. And like it is, is it's an illness. It's a sickness. And then you get into the whole idea that, you know, is it a weakness? Because we know that the stigma is still, you know, very pronounced, even in 2021. Uh, and we know that the stigma, or at least I know the stigma, is based on the perception of weakness that somehow Rachel, you know, when she was 18, then this is the stigma. This is what people who, who believe the stigma buy into it would say, oh, Rachel, you know, she's 18. And, you know, I guess, you know, life gets hard when you, you know, when you become an adult and, you know, I guess she just, you know, wasn't able to handle it and she let things get away from her. And, you know, she just needs to be, you know, like a little bit tougher and a little bit tougher on herself. Yeah. And that is the way people perceive mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. Yeah. And until we accept them as sicknesses, not weaknesses, we'll continue to keep people in the closet, right? No one wants to be seen as being uh, weak. So how do you convince a 45-year-old truck driver that he should go to his doctor and start to address this severe depression that he has had for so many years, where he will admit if you push him hard enough that he hates his life? Yeah. How do you convince him to do that? Because no 45-year-old male truck driver, and men are worse about this than women, although women still, you know, I, I think are affected by it. But no 45-year-old truck driver, male or female, wants to admit to being weak. So if you think that his depression is a weakness, then he's never going to say it. But if you convince him, you got a sickness. you got a sickness just like, um, like any other sickness that you can name. Then you have a chance for him to get help. Sick, not weak. Uh, and that is a way to reduce the shame and the embarrassment that go with mental health battles. You know, like you, I, I don't know 100% how I want to refer to it. Uh, but that that would be uh, uh, a whole other question. Well, I understand. Will you make? Sorry, go. I just there was just one one little thing. Stop your fighting, the two of you. <laughs> Oi! It's like you know you stop interrupting each other. <laughs> Continue, Rachel. Yeah, there's there's an issue with that for sure. Um, oh gosh, now I almost lost lost my train of thought. Um, no, I feel like because you brought up you know if, if men men are if it's harder for men to um, admit those types of things than women, and but I think that. Because especially in as a, in a career, as a woman who is who's always maybe had to fight or crawl her way to the top, as opposed to the the man, so to speak, quote unquote. Um, it's interesting because I found if I found for myself, like over the years with work, I I have not been able to be honest about my mental health because not only do I feel like it might be looked at as a weakness, but because I'm a woman as well. It's like, well, really, she can't handle it. So I feel like only until very recently, like I said, I'm 38 now, this many years in my adult working life, only recently have I felt like I've been able to be open to my employers. And they're finally like listening, like, okay, she needs to take this day off because she's, she's sick. 
like what, just what you just said, because, you know, she's got, she's had a number of panic attacks, whatever it may be, just can't focus and do her work. But it's, it's barely, like barely cracking the surface right now. So yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I, one of the things that I talk about probably as often as anything is, um, is the workplace and, you know, what is leadership in the workplace when it comes to mental health and leadership in the workplace to me is showing vulnerability. So when Rachel hears me, I, I, I don't know where you work. I don't know what you do. I'd be happy if you would inform me of that, but you know, if it's not, (laughs) what do you do? I can't inform you this. And this was, this was prior to what I do now. So I, I've done a, a lot of things. Um, right now I'm, a, I'm digital marketing. So I okay. home, I do have a great boss, no issues with that. I guess I'm talking about more leading up to what I do now, but especially in corporate, more corporate cultures and bigger corporations, not when you work with a small group of people necessarily. So, you know, so anyway, but, and here when I actually are both uh, yoga teachers, hero is more full-time yoga. I've kind of put it more on the, on the side. I you guess. all grew it. You got more mature. You realized what am I doing here as a life? It's not a life for, for I'm kidding hero. Um, so I guess, I guess what I'm saying, that the, 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 the workplace uh, is a really uh, important issue because for, I don't know, a hundred years, whenever sort of like the traditional office, like we live in today, or we experienced before the pandemic existed, um, you know, it, there's always been the perception, I can't tell my boss because whether, uh, I mean, I thought you paid, they made the point really well about being a woman and how it complicates your ability to say, hey, you know, I need a day off or, hey, you know, I'm seeing a doctor or, hey, I need to see our human resources because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with a mental health battle. So I I think the workplace is a hugely important area because that exists everywhere. It does not matter whether it's uh, at your workplaces in the past. It doesn't matter whether it's me at Bell Media. It doesn't matter whether it's a hockey team or or the law firm that I was speaking to an hour ago. You know, everywhere. No one, everybody worries that, you know, will I be seen the same way? If I share the fact that, you know, I'm on medication, for instance, Uh, and it really all stems from the person at the top. So yesterday I was giving a talk to Choice Hotels and the president of Choice Hotels, uh, his name is Brian Leon. And he like they brought me, uh, you know, they hired me to speak to uh, all of their franchisees. They have 330 hotels across Canada. And I said to him, you know, he said, you know, what can we do? I said, I can tell you what you can do. That if you show vulnerability, if you say something about your own experience with mental illness, whether it be yours personally or through somebody that you care about, because we all have stories, right? We all have some kind, we've all lost something because of mental illness. If you get in front of your 330 franchisees and you say to them, you know, and I'm just making this up, but this would be a potential story of this. Well, actually, he did say, he said, you know, um, I lost a friend to suicide and he talked a little bit about it. And I said to him, if you really show some vulnerability, if you show people things that they did not expect to hear from you, they are much more likely to tell you something or their boss, something that you don't expect to hear. If you say, 
I lost a friend to suicide. And this really, really planted ideas in my head that were really destructive. And the pain that I felt from that is not like any other pain that I've experienced. And that's why I want to create an open workplace where you can knock on your boss's door and you can, you can go for help if you need help. It comes from the leader. It starts from the top and works its way down. And if you show vulnerability, if you show some kind of strength about some kind of mental health challenge, then you change people's view of how they see themselves and how they see you. Yeah, it's true. Thank you for go ahead hero now. Well, no, I mean, everything you're saying is, it, it does come from the top, you know, in the place that I, in my place of employment right now, though, I've chosen to be very casual instead of more full, kind of full part, full time with him. You know, the owner is an exact example of everything you just said to keep it concise. And then that trickles down into feeling the ability to be vulnerable in who I am and to say what my challenges, what my sicknesses are, and to say what I'm, what I can excel in, what I'm not able to excel in. And simply because of my cognitive uh, behavior and my development, just certain things are not going to align. And some things are best said for other people to be naturally more adept at doing, and I'm going to be more adept in doing these things, right? And instead of being challenged by it, just to be respected and to be like, okay, thanks for knowing yourself well enough to know that that's your thing. Like, that's what you have. You know, and so the more places and environments we can be in where we have that supportive recognition and we can be empowered to excel in what we know we're strong in professionally and personally, I think the world, not to sound cliche, would be a lot better place. It'd be a lot better, a lot more rounded, a lot more compassionate instead of judgmental and more discriminatory towards those that can't necessarily change your neurodivergency, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually, it's interesting when you said uh, neurodiversity, and I was thinking, Michael, because we've talked about this a number of times, I'm kind of switching gears slightly, but a number of times on this podcast, we've talked about intergenerational trauma. And we've talked about, you know, not only is, you know, maybe there was something, um, you know, on in your outside world that that assisted to create these mental health challenges. But a lot of the time, it really is genetics too, and brain chemistry, and and that's that's where you know it, that's where it does become like what a sickness is. I guess my question is for you, um, having the Jewish background or heritage, and here when I both come from Holocaust survivor grandparents, um, was there anything there? And now I'm now I'm getting back to kind of you and how you grew up. Was did, was there any of that that kind of influenced your mental health challenges or? You know, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure, uh, but I, I do believe that some of it is genetic uh, predisposition to something like depression or GAD or panic disorder. Uh, yeah. I think my mom, who passed away a couple of years ago, I think that she always had anxiety, uh, but would, would, you know, never, never talked about it. Right. I don't I don't know if she was ashamed. I think she was more just in denial. Yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, when when I first started talking about my own mental health struggle, which was when I first started talking about it, like publicly on on TV, uh, you know, I, I'd never mentioned it, not because I was ashamed, because, you know, I wasn't. I just thought who would care? Right. You know, oh, there's Landsberg. He wants us to like him. So he's, you know, he's telling us this sob story about, oh, you know, I, I have depression. So I just never bothered. And then one day I found out um, by interviewing somebody uh, who had experienced depression, a hockey player. Uh, 
Um, and I convinced him to talk about it by saying, I'll talk about it too. Uh, and we talked very briefly, but we both said, you know, that it had really detracted from our lives and that it had hindered our ability to experience joy, which is a huge thing when it comes to mental illness. Uh, that the next day I started getting responses from people, uh, and that's what changed my life. I mean, I have stories from that one story in particular that is just incredibly powerful. Uh, and it's just an example of what happens when you share, you know, sharing, but get sharing, you know, sharing is contagious. The illness is not. So if I go on and, you know, I show like this and I say, um, Hey, you know, I, battle depression. And, you know, I, I battle it because, uh, well, first of all, I have no choice. Uh, and, you know, there's some things that it does to me that people don't talk about that I think we need to talk about. And one of them is loss of self-esteem. Nobody talks about losing confidence in themselves because everyone wants to be seen as being, you know, really confident. Mm -hmm. So if, if I share like that and someone hears me share like that, then there's a much better chance that they will choose someone to share with. The lesson is you share share with strength. Yeah, you share showing that you're not ashamed and that you don't believe that you're weak. So when my mom, uh, I mean, she was just a chronic worrier. Uh, and when I did a documentary, uh, I guess this would, would have been like, I don't know, 10 years ago now for CTV called Darkness and Hope. Yes. Uh, and we shot it. Um, we shot an interview with my dad talking, you know, I said to him, Hey, did you know the last 10 years that, you know, I've had severe depression? Uh, and, you know, when we were done, I said to him, not, not with my mom around, I said, you know, do you think mom probably, you know, maybe could have had a, an easier life if she would have, you know, maybe addressed her anxiety. And my dad said, what are you talking about? Huh. I said, well, you know how she would always, always worry. I mean, worry is part of life. You know, love means worry, right? You know, you love someone, you're going to worry about that. But there's also, uh, there's, there's a line when you cross the line, that's normal. That's not normal parenting when you get to a certain part. And my dad just, you know, he just, and my dad's a smart guy. My dad was an orthodontist, right? And uh, which doesn't mean that he's a smart guy, but it means that, you know, he understands this kind of thing. And he said, no. So I, I, I think I did my brother, uh, who's four years older than me, uh, definitely inherited, um, if it is inherited, panic disorder and GAD, and it uh, led him to addiction. And uh, if uh, he's a doctor, he's a kidney doctor, a nephrologist, but he was hmm. an addicted nephrologist. And he only ended up living because he met the right psychiatrist who treated him for his underlying mental illness, as opposed to his addiction. Because if you tell an addict who's self-medicating to stop drinking and they stop drinking, they still need the, you know, some kind of medication. So I do see a genetic link for sure. I think uh, my brother and I both probably inherited it from our mom and uh, my son certainly inherited it from me because my son, you know, has had anxiety since he was five. Yeah. 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 But you make a lot of sense though, right? Because as Rachel was talking about the intergenerational component, I mean, my mom has lots of anxiety and depression for sure. My grandmother being um, a, a Holocaust child survivor from Lithuania, 
you know, major anxiety, PTSD. And we actually did an episode more recently with the author of her memoirs, uh, Keith Morgan. So that's also, and she, he was talking about how a lot of these child Holocaust survivors, especially from Lithuania, have had these really big predispositions to mental health, right? And so when you look at our generation now, I mean, like as Rachel was saying, she's 38, I'm 29. Um, I can think about the things that I've had to face and looking at my ancestors and seeing how that's been passed down to me. Some things are onset, some things are, you know, hereditary. And it's really interesting how we now show up in life and how we learn to navigate that language and how we educate ourselves. But then how do we educate others to understand what we are dealing with so they can help educate the people that they encounter after they meet us, right? It's, we have the responsibility. We have an advocacy that we are responsible for. We want to help others understand how to prevent the discrimination and the ignorance that comes to mental health and learning disabilities, which is what I have. I have nonverbal learning disability. And Sorry if there's, vo I don't know if you're so hearing, vo I don't know if you're hearing voices. Um, that does not mean that you've all of a sudden become psychotic. Um, those, those voices are actually uh, in my house. Uh, I'm sorry, but we're, uh, um, there's some renovation going on. So that's you, okay. You'll have to take me with the voices in the background. That's fantastic. If we love Candace, we love candid, authentic, real conversations. This is exactly what that is. So don't worry about that. It is for that. sure. Now, you know, if by, by you know, as, as an example, if you start hearing the Lord speak to you throughout this, that is not the, the work people in my house, just so you know. Okay. okay. I don't know what God looks like, but it doesn't look like that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you for the disclaimer. That's good. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Hero, though, I think that really though yes okay there's a lot of genetic component to it but no one's really addressed it the way that we're addressing it now with when it comes to the different generations like you know michael mm -hmm. you were saying either with your generation and even with your generation michael like it's only just starting now so with your son's generation hopefully or with my generation like things it's not we're not hiding in the shadows anymore so yes there is a gen genetic component that maybe will always be there but the hope is that with these being able to address these things, that it's not going to, okay, yes, maybe you're going to pass it on, so to speak, to your child, but at least they'll have the tools at a young age to know what this is. Because when I was 18, like I said, and I was basically bedridden for a week with derealization, depersonalization, panic, all this kind of shit, I literally thought I was dying. Nobody at that time, even though I'm not, I'm young still at that time, no one knew how to address it or how to, um, it just wasn't a thing and it wasn't in the school system or anything like that. So it took a while, a little bit for me to get a diagnosis, so to speak. First doctor told me I had an ear, an inner ear infection. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> I mean, anyway, <laughs> did you go, was, were you, uh, did you happen to be at an ear, nose and throat specialist? Because ch chances are whatever doctor you go to will diagnose your problem as being in their area. You know, if you'd been at a cardiologist, I think you got a heart problem, you know, if you, so I, I'm kidding, of course, but um, sort of kidding. But I, I think that um, there's, uh, there's a huge issue that you just talked about. And that is, um, first of all, the inability sometimes for us to understand that we actually do have a problem. And one of the things that I try to reactions that I try to get when I give a talk is I want someone in the audience. And if the audience is big enough, there'll be someone who goes, wow, 
I think he's talking about me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I know I've always thought, you know, maybe I'm a little bit off, but now he's talking about what depression and anxiety feels like. And I, I think he's talking about me uh, because typically um, mental illness uh, hits us gently uh, at the beginning. And it's the accumulation of these gentle changes that add up to something that you're way more aware of. Like for me, it was six months of going through this slide into a depression hole until uh, I realized, well, you know, I've changed, you know, I'm not the same person that I was and I want to be that person. And that's when I went for help for the first time. But people don't necessarily know because there's no visible sign. I mean, let's face it, if, 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 if you got a rash with depression, then everybody would know they have depression or, you know, if you had a growth out of your brain and oh, that's a depression growth, you know, I know how to, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta treat that, but there's no visible sign and there's no proof. There's no MRI. There's no CT scan. There's no X-ray. There's no biopsy. There's no blood test. Hmm. So that really complicates thing. And that's where the weakness idea comes from. People think, okay, well, maybe I'm making this up. Like you would never say that with, you know, with, uh, you know, a tumor on your arm, you would never say, maybe I'm making this up, but because you can't see your illness or prove your illness, there is always the possibility in your head until you learn to have the confidence that it's not, you know, your weakness that, um, that it is. So, uh, you know, I think that Rachel, your position when you were 18 is not uh, atypical at all. You know, first of all, recognition for yourself, uh, you know, for your own illness, because you, you didn't know what you thought you were dying. Uh, and that's a pretty common thing to hear people say when they talk about panic attacks, for instance, you know, oh my God, I thought I was dying. Yeah. So uh, I get that. Yeah. Hero, I was like, I don't want to interrupt you again, Hero. Where are you? No, no, no. No, for sure. So what me and Rachel love to do with our guests is kind of with our podcast, it's funny, we're candid and we're unscripted. But what we've noticed is that we tend to kind of get to know our guests um, presently, what they're working on, what they're doing, and a little bit about how that has affected their life and the people around them. But we also love getting to know our guests and so-called pulling the mask off of who they are and what people know them to be or what they know them to be be known for so if you're open to talking about anything i mean we'd love to know more about like anything. upbringing your child your childhood like going Just back to day one yeah like what what was day one like as far as you can recall to now in terms of relating to your mental health relating to your lifestyle family schooling uh location like things like that that help define who you are today like what was the how did everything start well i think for me uh you know mental health uh, or mental illness. I never know, like, uh, as Rachel mentioned, like, what are we talking about? I mean, you can't just talk yeah. about mental health because if there was no mental illness, why would you be talking about mental health? That's it's only an right. issue because there's mental illness. So for me, That's mental right. illness dates back as, uh, as far as my memory will go. Uh, I, I, can, I, I can remember challenges with anxiety. Uh, and as I got older, uh, I think I became better at wearing the mask that you're talking about. So no one really ever asked me, are you okay? Yet there were times when I was just panicked. I mean, there were these fears that I had. One of them was something called emetophobia, which is fear of throwing up, fear of being around someone who throws up, fear of, uh, like, I couldn't, I, it just, I was so afraid of being around someone who was going to throw up that I wouldn't take a bus to camp. I remember, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go to camp and, you know, I just, everything, 
in my life was kind of driven by, you know, am I going to have to experience that fear? Uh, so that was, you know, that was, you know, from the time I was five or six, I remember being in grade school and being just panicked that my friend who was sitting beside me had migraines. And sometimes when he got migraines, he said, you know, he throws up. And then he said, I got a migraine and I was just panicked. I can remember this was, this was probably grade four. And I can remember this all this time later, just how panicked I was. So that kind of me, uh, that kind of is my initiation, indoctrination into the culture of having a mental illness that you really don't know what it is. It's not like I went, oh, wait a second here. I have general anxiety disorder and I have a metaphobia, which is a fear of people throwing up. And, you know, I mean, this is an illness like anything else. I just, because you never lived in anyone else's brain. When you were 18 and you're thinking, oh God, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You couldn't compare that to what other people fare because feel because you only have lived in your brain. Here I was a nine-year-old kid and I didn't know what normal was. I just knew that people around me didn't appear to be acting the way I felt because I wasn't acting like the panic person either. So maybe I thought, okay, well, you know, other people have the same sorts of things. Maybe they're pretending to be okay, just like me. So that for me is, uh, is the start for me of anxiety, which never really went away. And the start for depression for me was 20 years ago. um, When we started the show that I hosted off the record, uh, I fell into this massive depression um, that was not related to my job in any way. Uh, It became chemical without a doubt. And that was for me, honestly, I wanted to go around and I wanted to apologize to everyone who I had ever thought was weak before. I mean, I was like everybody else. I used to think, oh, that guy had a nervous breakdown. Like, what the hell's the matter with him? Oh, he didn't get out of bed. Well, you know, I don't want to get out of bed either, but, you know, I don't have to go to a doctor. I don't don't have to be put in the hospital for two months to get over it. Suck it up, buddy. I thought all those things. And then I got hit by it and I went, what the hell is going on? This thing is a million times worse than I ever thought. And it's nothing like I ever thought. Uh, And that was uh, 20 years ago. In the last 10 years, I've spent doing what I'm doing right now, which is talking about it, trying to share my own experiences and trying to empower other people to share theirs. There's something... Because we've, we've we've said the word medication a few times, and there's there's still such I maybe it's just me. Um, I've always felt embarrassed saying that I'm I'm taking medication, um, antidepressants. I still take medication. It's you know I've been on and off it for many many years, but it's uh, like I I I wish for the day that that stigma stops. And I think that also because here when I've worked in more holistic environments, being yoga teachers. And that whole movement of mindfulness and health and, and healthy being like almost um, like your body is a temple and not, you know, ingesting anything that could be chemical or blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of a whole mm-hmm. thing when, when it comes to food and things like that these days, too, that I feel like not, a, not enough people talk about medication and how helpful it is and can be and saves people's lives. And it's yeah. just like if somebody had cancer, they're going through chemotherapy or things like that. Right. So I, you know, I don't know if you, do you talk about medication sometimes in your, <laughs> you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, this is, 
I, I mean, depending on who I'm talking to and what appears to be most relevant in their lives. But if you're talking to a general group and, you know, you ask the question, how many of you would have a predisposition to say, no, I don't believe in meds. Like, and when they say they don't believe in meds, they're not talking about antibiotics. You know, they're talking about psychotropic drugs like an antidepressant. And um, we right. know that that I, I have no idea what percentage it is, but there's there's a large percent of people would say would never do that, you know, and then you say, okay, well, you know, you're really seriously ill. Well, don't start the talk about medication. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I've had this discussion with people. They say, do you think I should go on meds? And I say, well, okay. Um, you know, you don't want to go on meds, obviously, because that's why you're asking me, uh, have you done the other things that perhaps could help you without yeah. going on meds? You know, I'm not ever going to say to someone, you know, you should, you, you should go on medication, but you should go on and do anything that you need to get better because if you're really sick you're not alive you're just you know the walking dead and um, my point with medication is that yeah go ahead and try cbt and you know go to a psychotherapist and you know try try to you know go to uh, uh you know a uh um uh, you know a, a, i was going to think of you know a health doctor uh, well all doctors i guess are health doctors but you know someone who may prescribe you supplements yeah. or someone who may have you know alternative treatments go with that for sure do everything but eventually if nothing works then you got to consider medication and i i say look you know i understand your fear because medication is not easy no and medication um I don't want to be on meds. You know, I'm on meds. You know, I'm on I'm on more than one medication. I, I dislike my medication, but now this is the, the key part. I dislike my medication, but I despise the illness. So I have a choice now. I despise the illness and I dislike medication. What am I going to do? Well, you know what? You learn to love the thing that you hate the least. And yeah, you know, I really dislike medication, but I dislike it less than I hate the illness. And if you're sick enough, you got to say, hey, I'll do anything to get better because nothing is as bad as where I am right now. And, you know, some people will deprive themselves of it and never go on medication and will suffer all their lives. And that, you know, that's that's tragic, but that's the bias that they have somehow been indoctrinated into in this world that we live in where, you know, man, come on, you know, like it's going to like a guy I remember talking to him last week. He said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really afraid of medication. I said, you, you should be right. You know, you should respect it. This is, you know, it's a big deal, but your illness is a big deal. And he said, ah, yeah, but I'm really worried it's going to change me. And I said these words, well, how are you doing right now? Terrible. So it sounds to me like maybe a change would be okay. You know, like I would be more afraid not to change than I would be to change. And yeah, medication does change you. It numbs you. You know, I can't feel that same euphoric feeling that um, I would have been able to had I not been on medication and had I been mentally healthy. But I also can't feel the pain of depression. So I live my life in a more narrow range. Instead of being zero to 10, zero being the way I felt last time I was off meds and 10 being like this unbelievable euphoria. Now I live like this, you know, where I'm sort of, I can't feel really bad, but I can't feel really good either. And that's a, that's a price that I'm willing to pay. Yes. Yeah. No, th thank you for that. Because again, like just using that word weak or weakness, it's, it's always, um, you know, a, a lot, I think a lot of people, their first reaction is, well, taking medication just means I'm weak or yeah. 
have given up or uh, all those kinds of things. And I just, I just look forward to the day where that's not um, something that people think right away, you know, and you made, and you made a really good point. I mean, I personally started, can you see me by the way? Cause I don't, here, are you frozen? Uh, on my screen, on my screen, I'm moving right now, frozen, but I'm moving right now. I can quickly try turning my Wi-Fi on or off, um, but the, I don't want that to interrupt the conversation. Okay, now, you're, now you're okay, but you were fro- but Hero was frozen. It was a nice, it was a nice frozen though. It was like kind of like this. As as long as I'm okay, as <laughs> yeah. long as I'm okay, because both of you are frozen, but your audio is perfect. Oh, okay. Well, I can see everyone fine. It's all good. <laughs> okay, fantastic. I'll just look at your thumbnail. It's frozen. It, it's it's a very nice moment. So please continue. Okay. Yes. Um, no, and just, again, we like to kind of switch gears quite quickly, it seems. I, just, I always want to get in as much as I can, because there's a lot of things I wanted to ask you. But we actually recently had Brock McGillis on the show. Um, all right, I don't know if, are you familiar with, with Brock McGillis? Tell me who Brock McGillis is, and then if I'm not familiar with him, I'll pretend like I am. <laughs> no way. Oh, 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 one sec. Brock <laughs> McGillis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, you're really good. You're good. I am. I am. I'm full of shit, right? So, you know, I like I, I like to think that, and this is going to sound really weird, but I actually am boasting, and I and I don't boast very often, but I am the best bullshitter you're ever going to meet um, because I have spent my life learning how to ad lib, how to talk off the cuff. And when you do, right. you never have all the information. So if someone tells you, oh, the Leafs played last night, and, you know, here's the details about the hockey game, and you watch the highlights. So you've watched only 60 seconds of it. But, you know, the job, if you can, if, if you can do this, calls for you to act like you you, you saw the game, right? So you've taken the 60 seconds, filled in the gaps in between. So yeah, I am full of shit. But what were you going to say? Who's Brock McGillis? Uh, Brock McGillis uh, was one of the first pro, well, I want to say pro hockey players. I know he didn't play in the NHL specifically, but one of the first ma- male pro hockey players, maybe sports, sports person, can you say that? <laughs> players yeah. to, to come out as, as gay. And he talks a lot about uh, mental health and specifically homo- homophobia in sports, specifically in hockey. Um, and he's got his own kind of movement. When did he come out? When was that? Like maybe it was ten years ago. Hero, excuse me. At, at the very, at the very most, yes. Yeah. So he, you know, he talks a lot about um, obviously, like the, the maybe the lack of the LGBTQ community or or accept in sports and specifically in male dominated sports but um he also talks a lot about mental health because he also himself struggles um with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. i guess what i'm trying to get at is is in a roundabout way specifically you know you being a broadcaster and talking a lot about sports do you find that the kind of like the tough like you know male dominated sports is that still uh, quite a difficult world to crack in in exposing mental health or that people are in that realm or is that still a, a, a tough thing to kind of get through to to those men those people in the sports that it's okay to talk about it because then it's like I mean that is a real thing about outward strength right so yeah. I mean I don't I don't know if that's kind of a, a thing that you found is is that even a question you know <laughs> 
Well, I was just waiting for you to shut up so I could answer your question, which I thought you, I thought you expressed it really well. And I, it's like, wow, good question. Well done. And then blah, 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 blah. So um, yeah, they just cut off the last 15 seconds. Oh. And uh, my answer is, uh, you know, sports, sports is a great metaphor for the, the, the world. Sports life, the locker room, for instance, uh, in a professional uh, sport, whether it be hockey, which we all obviously know probably the most about, um, you know, the locker room is not dissimilar to a law firm, uh, is not dissimilar to a television station, is not dissimilar to um, any workplace that you can think about. But everything is magnified. First of all, it's all men. Second of all, there is the perception that you can never complain about anything, right? doesn't matter how much pain you're in physically. You, you don't complain about it. You suck it up. And the words suck it up are amongst the most damaging when it comes to mental health. The idea that sucking it up can make a difference to those of us. So I, I think that it's really complicated. I think it's really difficult. I think it's gotten a bit better because there are some athletes, uh, you know, from professional sports who have actually come out and spoken about their battles. But unfortunately, what happens is, you know, when you're forced to be in the closet, in the mental health closet, uh, and you're afraid to come out, bad things happen. You don't get help. And I mean, that's where, I mean, how many times have you heard like the tragic story of somebody who took their own life and the reaction afterwards is, oh my God, nobody knew. I had no idea. Uh, and that's because, and not in every case, but often it's because they're ashamed and people in a locker room are ashamed to have their teammates find out because they still perceive their illness or even worse, they may realize that it's a sickness, not a weakness, but they know their teammates will see it as a weakness, not a sickness. And then they worry about the coach. You know, what's the coach going to think? Is the coach going to think I'm not mentally strong? Because, you know, mental toughness is a big thing in professional sports. And, and what I have learned from Mike Babcock, who, uh, who coached the Leafs for years and, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, came out speaking about mental health. He said, you know, I'm trying to convince people that mental toughness has nothing to do with mental illness, that you can have depression and be mentally tough. And I'm here to say, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty fucking mentally tough, but I do have this illness. Well, we talk about in our other episodes as well about this is the idea of resilience and tenacity, the ability to bounce back from adversity and from having you know, having sicknesses in our mental health. And that's really a key sign of that. I think the more that we have vulnerability, the more that we are affected by something, the more in tune we are with whatever it is, which means we have the ability to bounce back, the ability to represent whatever that might be, to show to people that we have that ability to represent and that we are not, we're not weak, we're just sick. I mean, again, it comes back to that whole concept. Uh, I mean, obviously, I agree. I mean, what, one of the things that I'm, uh, this isn't exactly what you were talking about, but one of the things I'm really wary of is, you know, when I give a talk and they'll say, oh, you know, you've had debilitating depression. And I say, yeah. And I, you know, I say, hey, you know, I, I've had, you know, a, a year on end where every moment was misery. And they'll say, did you, did you miss work? And I'll say, no. 
And because because I didn't. Right. And then there is immediately this fear that I have that someone will think, well, that's the standard that you can have severe depression and go to work every day and host a television show every day. And I say, look, you know, because I did that, my circumstances maybe are different than yours or or um, maybe I thought that I couldn't afford to stay home because of the nature of the job that I had that, you know, like eventually they give the show to somebody else, you know, or, or maybe, maybe I just felt like I had no choice. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. maybe if you would have given me a choice, I would have stayed home, but I don't want people to think, well, that's the standard. Hey, you know, I heard this guy speaking about mental illness and I can tell you what it feels like, right? I'm going to tell you right now, four mm-hmm. things. We all experience them. I'm going to see if I can do it. In one breath, number one, we all lose the ability to experience joy. It doesn't matter that good things are happening to us or not happening. It does not matter. The point is you cannot feel joy. And that is universal when it comes to mental illness. We all go through the same thing. Number two, we all lose self-esteem. All of us. Number three, we all feel this sense of loneliness, this sense of God. I'm the only one. No one can understand me. And number four, we all feel this sense of hopelessness that I'm the only one that is never going to be helped, that I am destined to live my life like this. And that becomes devastating. But those four things for people with depression, every single one will tell you, yes, I have lost when I'm depressed, the ability to experience joy. So those things are all across the board, but we all have different lives, right? So while we may have those four things in common, they manifest themselves differently. We have different responsibilities. We have different backgrounds. So, you know, there is no like one standard, which is, oh, you know, like Landsberg didn't miss work. So is he saying that if I miss work that I'm weak? No, at all. Yes. Well, that's another thing that we talk about even with um, our our grandparents or that maybe we we took their generational trauma PTSD from the Holocaust for example and that's now in our DNA but we also took their resilience and their strength and all those things so you have to you know hopefully you can focus on those parts rather than all the the gunk maybe you got as well yeah, for sure. You know, I'm fascinated by, uh, I wish I was doing this interview because I would ask you uh, about your experiences through your grandparents with the Holocaust. Um, because I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I won't say I'm obsessed with it, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, and I, I study World War II every day uh, for no reason. It's not like I'm going to end up, you know, teaching a class. It's not like I'm going to write a book. I just, I, I, find myself drawn to it in a way that uh, I've never been drawn to anything like that mm-hmm. subject. It's in your DNA. <laughs> it's in your DNA, for sure. And you know what? Feel welcome to have us if you want. We're happy to share. Me and Rachel are open books. <laughs> you know, so so how, how do you guys know each other? Go, go ahead, Hero. <laughs> well, basically, it started with me um, being a so-called... Um, in the teaching industry, I guess a studio hopper is, is the best way I can say it in short, where, you know, we're grabbing cash bags and getting into as many studios as we can get to just get a class and get some showtime. And so in North Van, in West Van, there was a few studios that were kind of in a circuit, I guess you could say. And Rachel was a studio owner and she had seen me on social media and referred by one of her teachers and she had newly opened her business. Me being the um, opportunist I was, reached out to her and we started chatting, both identifying that we were both Jewish and both having mental health um, challenges or have sicknesses. And 
it led us to meeting. Actually, she picked me up from a studio that I was having an interview at, and she picked me up, like, split custody, and we went for a drink at uh, Beautiful in North Van. And we just started chatting and shooting the shit, and it was like we've known each other forever, to the point where being as ignorant as I was and being a flaming homosexual, um, when she said she was feeling hot and sweaty, I thought she was having a hot flash. Thanks, Mom. And uh, from there... We just decided to be best friends instead of um, professional colleagues. And, you know, seven years later, six years later of candid conversations, it's now turned into us having our own show. And right. this is the product of that conversation. That's a cool story. I, I, I love that story. Uh, and, Thank you. You know, the, the, the fascinating link, though, is the Holocaust, right? I mean, how, yeah. how many, what, what uh, if you don't mind me asking, Rachel, what, what is your, is it your grandmother, your grandfather, two of them, one of them, well, like, who, who was a survivor? My dad's parents. So both of them, Poland, go figure. So like probably one of the worst places to be. Not a good one. Not a good one. Not a good one. Um, both parents of him. And um, my dad was the first of three boys to be born in Canada. So the other two brothers were either born in Paris or in Russia because they were fleeing after the war and they blah, blah, blah. And then they, they planted their roots here. In, uh, in Toronto, actually, specifically. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, both my grandparents, my grandmother was the sole survivor. So she found out after the war that her family was burnt alive in their house. She was the only survivor. Uh, my grandfather had a couple siblings and his parents perished. I don't, you know what? And I need to dive into deeper into knowing their stories, but I know that he did have a sister that actually fled Europe prior to the war starting. So she was living in Toronto and that's how he was able to uh, immigrate and have a sponsor essentially through his sister. So that was, you know, otherwise who knows if I'd be here, right? I mean, we just, there's all these things. We have no idea. Um, mm -hmm. But interesting Michael, we actually did an episode with uh, Jeannie Becker, so fashion icon, Canadian fashion icon, and her parents are Holocaust survivors. We had an episode with her and with Dr. Rachel Yehuda, whom is an intergenerational specialist from the New York Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, she's a psychologist or psych psychologist, and she's done some of the, the very um, intricate studies on genetics and intergenerational trauma. We had a whole episode on that, which was Really interesting. Yeah, I, I'd watch that in a heartbeat. So yeah, take yeah. a look at that because that definitely gives maybe not as much information about us, but definitely about um, just how genetics are really connected. Mm -hmm. For sure. And the add on to Rachel again, like I have my grandparents, one from each side. So whereas Rachel, she was mentioning her dad, um, my dad, the dad, my dad's dad, who's still alive but not in our life really to keep it really concise. Uh, he was from Poland. I don't know where in Poland, I forget, but I want to say Warsaw, don't quote me on that. But he was the youngest of five brothers and all of his brothers and his parents were murdered and he actually wasn't supposed to be alive, but he was the second pick from a sponsor family friend of theirs in Nova Scotia. Um, so had his older brother agreed to go, I wouldn't be alive. And then same goes for my grandmother because she had several opportunities where she and her parents could have been killed by the soldiers if they weren't given a second of grace to, you know, to pass, I guess, if they were caught at a border or at a crosswalk, if they were fleeing from soldiers. And, 
you know, my grandmother had a sister, unfortunately, who was taken to Auschwitz on the truck that my grandmother was on with her. But because she was old enough and there was a favor in there as well from someone that was responsible for the interaction, my grandmother was taken off the truck, but had to witness her sister. My grandmother was seven and her sister was four, had to see her sister being taken away to Auschwitz. And, you know, my grandmother had to live with that the rest of her life before she passed away about 11 years ago now. That's so. Story is chilling though, Hero, because I know Keith Morgan, who wrote the book on your grandmother, who we had on recently, and how he was saying how um, your sister, your grandmother's sister, whom was so young at the time, was so excited to be t- getting a ride on a truck, and that she, all she remembers is her hands were up and she was like, you know, and she was excited for her sister, and little did she know where that truck was headed. Like one of those, it's just yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so you know, you hear these stories and you have this in your, in your family. It's, uh, it's, it's devastating. It's horrible, but I, I truly think these things need to continue to be talked about. And, you know, and, and you would say like, well, obviously, but I know that a lot of people that went through those traumas, there's a lot of them that still just don't want to talk about it. It hurts too much. Right. So, but the suppression yeah. with as far as any suppression goes is even with anxiety or depression, that's that's worse, right? I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. You're you're muted. <laughs> Actually, I hit the mute because uh, someone was making noise, and uh, I thought I unhit it, but I guess I didn't unhit it. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going with it. And you know what? It's now officially a word. So it's unhit the mute. Word. Yeah. Um, you know the. Um, no one back in in 1945 or 1946 you know thought oh my gosh you know these these people you know who survived you know are so scarred psychologically that you know they need to be helped they need they need a plan to be able to get over this and no one got that and that's true not just of holocaust survivors but for those that fought you know people that landed in normandy and saw what they saw and had to you know if you landed in normandy uh you had to fight your way virtually to germany right Uh, they didn't take they didn't send you home and say good job so you either died or you ended up making it all the way to germany and and how, how do you get over that how you assimilate how do you go back to your life beforehand you know how can you have a talk with someone who could never possibly understand what you've gone through and the answer is you can't therefore you bury it and that has deprived a lot of people you know who survived um to the point where you know some of them didn't really survive yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and there's you know there's so much uh, my grandfather before he passed away um, there's the Shoah Foundation, if you heard of that, you know, and yeah, Jeffrey, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. So he was, um, you know, picked as one of uh, those that they went to. His, this is probably 20 years ago now. They went to his home in Toronto, and they, you know, have him talking about his accounts on of what he went through. But it's all in Yiddish, and so I haven't been able to. Finally, I'm I'm taking it upon myself from my father. Nobody's translated yet. I'm going to be the first to do that. So. <laughs> It needs to happen. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as, as we come to our, the end of our talk with you, Michael, I know this has been, it's been such a pleasure. Where are you right now, by the way, in the world? I'm at, I'm at my dining room table uh, where uh, I'm in Toronto. 
Okay. Uh, you know, it's okay. it's funny how you just assume people live where you live. And when you were talking about yeah. Vancouver, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I guess you guys both moved here. And then it's like, well, wait a second here. Maybe they live in bank. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Imagine the possibilities. People actually live someplace else. But it, it's it's right. not a Toronto thing. It's just a uh it's just the way our brain works. And uh so I'm at my uh my dining room table. Uh I do uh, a show from here. Uh, or my kitchen table uh, every day. And I give mental health talks um, from this position uh, every day to different, you know, I, I speak to businesses. Like yesterday, I spoke to uh, uh, Unifor, which is the largest union in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I didn't speak to the whole union. I spoke to some supervisors on mental health. And then after that, I spoke to um, a group called uh, Choice Hotels Canada. So they have 330 hotels across Canada and they thought that their people needed to have a bit of a mental health pep talk or awareness talk. So I did that. So I do that, you know, from where I am right now. And it's actually amazing, right? You know, like, especially in, in that area, I, I never have to say no to anything, right? Because you don't have to figure out, well, you know, how am I going to get to Vancouver uh, and give a talk and then get back in time to do my other job the next day? But this, man, bring it on. And it's yeah. funny, we're actually not, Hero and I are, are not even in the same city. So I'm in Vernon. I'm in the Okanagan. He's in Vancouver. <laughs> so we're all in different places. Right. Um, but, and, you know, as you were just saying what you do every day. So as we kind of close, and I know you've, you've already spoken about your initiatives, things you're doing right now, but, you know, for a lack of better word, what would you like to, to plug as we, as we close our time together? And of course, we'll put everything in the show notes as well, but. Uh, you know, I'm not going to plug anything because um, then it sounds like that was the purpose for me coming on to chat with you guys. Um, so I'm just, I'm going to plug mental health awareness, not by me, but by anyone that, you know, you you need to look at yourself and say, am I okay? Uh, and just as importantly, you need to look at people that you love and care about and ask, are they okay? Um, Because sometimes the answer is not what you think. And sometimes you really have to ask someone a lot of different times because all of us can learn to wear the mask. You know, I did hundreds of shows and no one ever said to me, are are you okay? You know, is there something wrong? Uh, We all know how to wear the mask. We all know how to pretend and we all know how to show people. And this is advice to, you know, a parent who's got a six, 16 year old kid, that kid has the ability to show you their parent, not what they're feeling necessarily on the inside, but they can show you what they think you want to see in them. And that's really dangerous. And that's why, you know, you need to be aware that you need as a parent to initiate discussion, you need as a leader in a workplace to initiate discussion. That's what I'm promoting love that's beautiful and one thing that we love to ask our guests is because we are getting juicy podcast uh if you were to be a kind of juice michael what kind of juice would you be and why you know i'm going to say a combination Uh, i don't drink alcohol uh, not for any other reason than it's not great it's not good for mental illness right and it doesn't combine well with medication um so when i go to in the old days the olden times when we used to go places uh and you know let's say i was at a bar mitzvah i would say okay well you know i'll have a cranberry juice and orange juice combined that was my sort of go-to i'm not drinking liquor drink so let's go with that and maybe just a little pineapple juice added in there and you know what why the hell not why not a maraschino cherry in there even though they're apparently not good for you but they just have that little extra taste and you know what while we're at it let's put a a lemon and a lime on it Mm, mm. 
I love it. But the most important thing is, does the maraschino cherry have a stem or is it stemless? Well, you know, um, <laughs> there is, uh, God, I can't go where I was going to go with it. So let's just go with, uh, you know, it's, it's got a stem. So if I so choose, I can reach into my drink without touching the liquid when it gets down a bit and pull the cherry out. Oh, there you go. I love that. So COVID friendly of you. <laughs> You know, I, will we ever get back to a time where we, we actually, you know, like oh, shake God. hands with people? Oh, my God. Like you look at a, a, you know, you watch a TV show and you go, oh, God, they're shaking hands. What the hell? How could you do oh, that? Sitting right beside each other. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Oh, my God. They're at a restaurant. Wow. And it's actually filled. Yeah. So um, it's going yeah. to take, uh, you know, a, a lot of this will never be outdone, undone. You know, we will, people will, will wear masks the rest of their lives yeah. because, you know, they work. Look, you know, have you had, I, I don't know if you wear masks, but uh, I wear a yeah. mask if I'm going out and yeah. I have not had a cold in a, you know, in 14 months. You know, I haven't had a cold since. And, you know, why is that? You know, why do we have the, the um, most the easiest flu season uh, ever. And yeah. the answer is because, you know, we were all taking precautions against this one virus, which also protected us against other viruses. So uh, yeah. we may never go back to where we were, but it'd be great to have the option. Absolutely. Or hug people. <laughs> Just those options, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think uh, there be yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, we would love to talk to you again in the future. This was lovely. And, you know, We'll what do you think? What do you think I'm saying right now when you say, eh, you know, we'd love to talk to you again? Am I thinking no or am I thinking sure? Uh, I think me and Rachel are pretty awesome. So I, I don't see why someone would want to talk to us again because it's a collaborative conversation that's always ongoing. <laughs> I, I think that that if I was not convinced before, I'm convinced now. That was a great answer. And uh, I think you guys are great. One of you is greater than the other. Now you're going, which one? Oh which one? God. I'm not going to say. Um, you know, actually. <laughs> you know it's uh it'd be my pleasure and uh i'd love to hear more about uh about your family's lives and your life experiences because i always find that other people's lives are more i'm more interested in them than i am in my own you know when right. you when you are interviewed by someone you talk about yourself and it's like you know i don't give a shit about myself you know i'd rather hear somebody else's story so thank you for uh giving me the chance to uh hear my own voice uh and say in my head over and over again michael i don't care shut up <laughs> nobody cares stop uh, so your convention <laughs> stop your fetching yeah i didn't love the way you said that you know you you put a you made it sound like there's a syllable ka fetching <laughs> you know i i you know i'm wondering i i, I i'm not sure that you're jewish you know I, I you know i'm sorry for saying that but you know i'm <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, fetching. Eh, it didn't go over well. What, what, what is, uh, you know, what, what's the Christmas season holiday called? Hero. What color? What was that? <laughs> it's Hanukkah. No, you see, you're not Jewish. You're right. It is that word, but a Jew would say what, Rachel? What Hanukkah? Yeah, of course. You know Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah. He's never said it before. He's an imposter. Arrest this man for impersonating a Jew. 
Uh, I think you probably oh, did it originally because you thought the money will be really good. And then immediately when I say I'm a Jew, I'll start getting a check every month from the international Zionist conspiracy. Um, but then you found out that it doesn't exist. Oh, God. We need to have a whole episode on just Jewishness. Just- <laughs> great. I mean, yeah. why, why, did, why else do you think I had a bar mitzvah? I was forced to have one. I didn't want one, but I got money and gifts. So, I mean, your, your case in point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just, just be aware. Be very aware of the fact that we Jews, we don't say challah. We say challah. Challah. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, know, you know that uh, fish that starts off as a salmon and then it gets smoked and we put it on top of a bagel with cream cheese? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, lox. Say it again. Oh. Lux. Lux. You know, close enough. It's, but, but, you know, non-Jewish people will say lox, right? Because that's how it's spelled. And that's right. the giveaway, right? So, you know. Right. You have, to, you have to educate me. You have to teach me your ways, Michael Landsberg. Teach me your ways. I can do that. I'm up for the challenge. And I think you'd be a really quick learner. I think you would understand that challah and Hanukkah. And then there's a, a Hebrew sound that you make in your throat that it, it you, you got to work on this, right? It doesn't just come. But um, recently there was a festival and that festival with with Haman and Queen Esther. Uh, what's the name of that festival? Simchat Torah. No, that's not it at all. Um, <laughs> Rachel. Well, now I'm going to say it incorrectly. It's well, it's Purim. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, um, the there's second, the, is, the Israeli way to say it, which I had to work really hard to get it for no other reason than I just thought it sounded like really cool. Purim, Purim. So if you ask someone oh, from yeah. Israel, what, what's that holiday? They'll go, Purim. What language do you speak? Ivrit, Ivrit. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I worked really hard to establish that. I'm great that I'm, I'm just grateful that I could show it off. Ivrit. Yeah. Purim, Purim. My, yeah. We've had some intro. We actually had a guest on our show from Israel, but he was living in Germany. I knew you were going to say this. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> he is the Hala Prince. From Israel, he is the most amazing challah. He's he's so awesome, and he's also from the LGBTQ communities. He's gay. Yeah. We had a, a, an, a, an amazing conversation with him, and he's become Instagram Insta famous for his challah. And he he didn't even go to baking or cooking school. He's just right. come this. So so you're saying that he is a homosexual? <laughs> That's my joke. That's my joke. Really? That's like funny. 10 years ago, I'm we're going to cut this out or not. I'm not sure, but it's pretty funny. It's <laughs> hilarious. Not offensive, it's right? No, not of it. It's not offensive no. at all. So, I think it's hilarious. Huh. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I just don't want you to start fetching. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I love Thank it. you so much. We will be in touch with you with everything soon, and we will have you back as soon as we are available to have you back. And same for you. Oh, so that, oh, I, I was going to say that. Oh, so it's all about you when when you're there, <laughs> of course. You know, couldn't possibly be do anything else. As his dad pointed out, you got Landsberg. Wow. Okay, must we're going to cut that out. We're going to cut that part out. I love we're that. that. Don't <laughs> don't do not cut that out. It's funny as hell. We actually <laughs> out. Uh, if if you do have a platform that we can talk more about, he's now he's really schwitzing there. Um, if there's a platform that we can, yeah, that we can talk about 
the Holocaust or, or those kinds of things. Like I always, you know, it yeah, let us know. Maybe, and maybe one day we'll have all of our Jewish guests on the show, all in little boxes and no one will get a word in at all. It'll just be fucking chaos. <laughs> you're, 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 sorry to everybody else, but I'd get a word in. You know, that's all I know how to do is talk. So, yeah. right. Uh, we, yeah. we can call it the, we call it the juicy shul. I like that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. You have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. We will talk soon. Guaranteed. Okay. Have a good rest of your week.